It's Curious City, where we take your questions about Chicago and the region and investigate, report, explore from WBEZ. When people think about the center of American music, they often think about places like New York or L.A. But there was a time around the 1920s when that place was Chicago. And in the years since, the city's produced some important pioneers in genres from country and folk to jazz and hip-hop. But Chicago public schools aren't required to teach kids anything about that music history. That was the case for Jose Lomeli. He grew up on the southwest side and went to CPS for 12 years. So he wrote into Curious City asking, Why doesn't Chicago public schools have a citywide music curriculum to teach and celebrate the city's rich musical heritage? I'm Curious City reporter Monica Eng, and I also wanted to know, is it true that CPS doesn't teach kids about these Chicago artists? You know, along with the usual stuff like recorder lessons? Well, district officials tell me that about a decade ago, its Office of Arts Education actually did put together a teaching guide that includes sections on Chicago musicians. David Roach headed up the project, and he says they thought it was important for a few reasons. The strength of the musical history in Chicago itself just cried out for more recognition. Plus, a lot of these artists actually went to CPS schools. People like Benny Goodman, Nat King Cole, and Chance the Rapper. So Roach and a bunch of arts experts made this cool guide that helps teachers tell the story of Chicago jazz, blues, gospel, Latin, and folk. But only about half of CPS schools even have a music teacher on staff. Teaching that history is optional. And CPS officials say they don't know if or when the guide's ever been used. So for students of any age, we've put together an audio version of what these lessons might sound like. We talked to people who worked on the guide, and they highlighted important moments in Chicago jazz, folk, Latin, and gospel. We'll start with Lauren Deutsch. She's the former head of Chicago's Jazz Institute, and she helped shape the sections on jazz. blossoming of jazz in Chicago was influenced by the Great Migration. Lots of musicians came north to look for jobs and they brought their culture with them. Joe King Oliver came up the Mississippi from New Orleans to Chicago and landed here shortly after calling for Louis Armstrong to come up to join him. People who came originally from the South and began to blend a different sort of urban sound into what they had been doing. Around the same time, there were these kids from Austin High School. Which became known as the Austin High Gang, which included Gene Krupa and Benny Goodman. And these young cats started coming down to the South Side to listen to the black bands and got really excited, also really welcomed and they go off and interpret it in yet a new and a different way. That interpretation led to further experimentation that eventually produced Chicago's bebop scene. The beboppers really had this idea about not just having a singular soloist, but forming a different way of listening to each other as musicians and responding within a smaller, more intimate format. That was really considered the first avant-garde movement in jazz, although it's now considered to be classic jazz. Mm -hmm. 
Then out of the bebop movement came this guy who acted as a bridge to the avant-garde movement in the 60s. He called himself Sun Ra. And declared that he was from Saturn um, and that he had come with a special mission, which was to free people's minds and spirits through the music that he was writing. Space is a In the 2000s, I think a lot of things started to really take off. Women really came into their own. There are so many strong women who have come out of Chicago. Importantly, Nicole Mitchell, the flautist. There are young folks, some of whom came up through the Jazz Institute's programs, like the trumpeter Marquise Hill. These musicians came up in the era of hip-hop, and they have very naturally found ways to incorporate their first music that they listened to into this form of jazz. I see gentrification all over the nation. My people are being displaced. About the same time all that jazz was getting started, Chicago had become an unlikely center of the country world, mostly because of a live radio show that was launched in 1924, a year before the Grand Old Opry. Well, howdy, everybody. This is Pat Barnance Buttram, Bench Hitting for Joe Quiz Kitten Kelly tonight. I think the National Barn Dance radio programming in the start of the 1920s on WLS is certainly a signal moment. This is David Roach again, who once led Chicago's Old Town School of Folk Music. He notes that Chicago also played a part in the national folk music revival of the 60s and 70s. Here, we had singer-songwriters who honed their craft in clubs like The Quiet Night and The Earl of Old Town. Musicians like Bob Gibson and John Prine later on and Steve Goodman and so on. Then you had uh, a person like Ella Jenkins, who was doing children's music from the 50s and 60s. Did you feed my cow? Yes, ma'am. Could you tell me Jenkins' children's songs spread nationwide, and she became the best-selling Smithsonian folkway singer of all time. What did you feed her? Did you milk her good? Then you had the Old Town School of Folk Music, where hundreds of Young musicians have worked as music educators in a very positive way in, in terms of seeding future musicians of Chicago. Juan Diaz also worked on the CPS Guide. He's the co-founder of the Sones de Mexico Ensemble, and he's chronicled Latin music history in Chicago. He says the scene reflected different waves of Latin American immigration, musicians from Puerto Rico, Cuba, and the largest group from Mexico. He says the city's booming recording industry lured some Mexican performers up here as early as 1927. And one of those early recordings comes from a man named Silvano Ramos, and he recorded a song called No Estoy Conforme, which roughly translates as, I can't get no satisfaction. We fast forward to about period about 1940 to 1960. There were clubs here, and the Latinos liked to go dancing. One of the prominent groups there was Don Roberto y sus Rumberos, played live at a place called the Ashland Auditorium, which doesn't exist anymore. It wasn't until the mid-60s or early 60s 
that a permanent mariachi band was established in Chicago. This came from Raquel Ontiveros, and she had been part of the reception committee for the Pan American Games in the late 50s, which brought a lot of Latin Americans to Chicago. In the 1990s, Diaz on Sones de Mexico Ensemble revived interest in traditional Mexican folk songs. Meanwhile, a group out of Aurora launched a brand new style. Called the Duranguense. It's the Mexican style, but it originates in Chicago and then it's exported back to Mexico. Yeah, music created in suburban Aurora that's taken Mexico by storm. Robert Maravich is a gospel historian who edits the Journal of Gospel Music. He says Chicago gospel, like jazz, formed when African-Americans came up from the South during the Great Migration in the 20s. So to sort of retreat into their own community, a lot of the Southern migrants sort of developed this combination of congregational singing that they grew up with in the South with the sound of the city, the blues and jazz. I was lost in sin and sorrow. Pianist Thomas A. Dorsey came up to Chicago to lead Ma Rainey's famous blues band. But by the early 30s, he left the blues behind and founded Chicago's first gospel chorus. Soon, tragedy struck, and he lost his wife and child in the same week. And it inspired him to write one of the most famous gospel songs of all time, Precious Lord, Take My Hand. That was a song that I've often felt gave the migrants a chance to grieve about their own situation. From then on, gospel wasn't just up-tempo, hand-clapping, foot-stomping music. It also was very emotional and very had a lot of depth to it. Roberta Martin would be the next one to talk about because she sort of put a semi-classical ornamentation in it that she had learned growing up taking classical piano lessons. That became a sort of the sound of traditional gospel. Almost nobody would record without having sort of a nice flowery introduction. Then Mahalia Jackson came out of New Orleans, a migrant to Chicago, and took what she was hearing and gave it her own spirit. Her move on up a little higher, one of her first records, took off and sold something like two million copies. By the 1940s, gospel quartets became a big part of the music, and Chicago shined with the relocated soul stirrers. They were a quartet that started in Texas, but moved to Chicago as migrants, and one of their lead singers decided to leave in 1950, leaving a void, so they hired a young man named Sam Cooke. Another Chicago Public High School graduate. He could connect with youth, he had the looks, he had the grace, he had the voice, 
And so he took the Soulsters farther than anyone had to that point. And by the late 50s, he had taken his sound and gone into the secular, the soul world. By the 1970s, California took over as the center of gospel music. But Chicago's nurtured a new generation of gospel singers, influenced by acoustic music and hip-hop, like Jonathan McReynolds. But the church choirs have never gone away, and they still have the same sound that they had, you know, 40 years ago. So there you go, a whirlwind tour of at least four Chicago music genres that CPS schools can teach about today. When I played these for Jose, he says he wished he would have learned about them when he was a CPS student. I would have loved and benefited from having classes like that at the time. Well, the good news is we have heard from some CPS teachers who do dig into Chicago's music history to teach about things like the Great Migration or racism. And we hope this story shows even more fascinating ways this music illuminates the city's larger history and the art of its own graduates. Now, we know the CPS teaching guide leaves out some pretty important music genres like hip-hop, soul, and rock. We are going to get to them, but you'll have to tune in next week. Curious City is supported by the Conant Family Foundation. I'm Monica Eng. Before we start the show, we here at Curious City want to let you in on a little-known fact about WBEZ. 89% of all our funding comes from community support, including contributions from curious listeners like you. If this program has changed how you see Chicago, please consider supporting this program at wbez.org curious. Thank you.